This is Tell Your Story, and today I'm speaking with Alicia Malone. For those of you who are new, if you don't want to listen to the bio, just skip over to the next time you hear the track and you'll get right into the conversation between Alicia and I. But if you want a bio and a reason for why I wanted to interview Alicia, stick around. Alicia Malone is a film reporter. She's also a host. She's a writer. She recently wrote a book. And she's a self-confessed movie geek. When you hear us talk in this conversation, you'll notice that as a child, her movie geek status was looked down upon. But she had the strength to continue loving films, which I believe is why her career has been so successful. She's never about the celebrity status or about furthering her career. She really is about the films. She loves the magic of them, the making of them, the conversation about them, and so she studies them. And when she speaks to actors, directors, and producers, she knows what she's talking about. The reason why I wanted to speak to Alicia Malone is because I love film. And so I do so much digging on YouTube and online to understand why directors do what they do, why actors do what they do. And oftentimes when I'd research these films, I'd land on these press junkets where interviewers were talking to celebrities and actors and directors, and it was always this fluff stuff. And I never understood why nobody talked about the craft and the movie making of the business. And then I found Alicia. Sure, she still played into the quote unquote fluff stuff that one needs to do in order to do these press junkets, but there was always this level of intellect and genuine care for the film and the actor and the producer who was sitting in front of her. I've been following her career for years, and so when I watched her TEDx talk and her speaking about women in film and why we still are not anywhere near to making as many films as men are, I was just so struck by how candid and honest and researched her talk was. When I spoke to Alicia, she was just about to release her book, Backwards and in Heels, and it's also about the history of women in Hollywood. We talk a lot about that in this conversation as well, but beyond that, we dive into who she is as a person. If you are an Alicia Malone fan and if you are a film geek, then this is the podcast for you because you get to hear her in ways that she's never spoken before. If you're a woman in a male-dominated industry, which majority of us are, this is an amazing opportunity to listen to somebody who is candidly talking about what that means. Just a heads up, this was recorded before the Harvey Weinstein scandal, so we did not touch on that, but Perhaps this needs to be a second podcast as well where we can dive into that. But also, if you are a kid who is struggling to fit in, this is the podcast for you. And when I say kid, I don't mean that you have to be a kid right now. You, you could be the adult who's trying to find your inner child. Alicia never felt like she fit in, and there's a reason for that. And there's an even bigger lesson for her never conforming to what other kids expected of her. And I believe that's why she's been so successful. Yes, there are insecurities. Yes, there are flaws, but she's human and she shows them. And it's such a powerful, powerful conversation because of that. So without further ado, here's Alicia Malone. It's interesting for me to be speaking with you because film and the world of film to me, for a person who A, is an immigrant and B, never felt like I had a home, film provided a home for me. Yeah. And, and so I feel at least that for anybody who is not interested in film, is <laughs> kind of a foreign alien to me. I really don't understand those people. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we can start a little bit 
where I started, which is why you fell in love with film in the first place. Yeah. And, and what it provides to you and for you. And maybe as you traversed through that world, what were some of the things that maybe disappointed you about film and yeah. the industry? Well, I started off loving film. Uh, that was through my dad. And it's funny because we don't have a very close relationship, but one thing that we can talk about is film. So that's like mm-hmm. our common language that we can speak about. And even now, if I talk to him before he says, how are you? He's like, what films have you seen lately? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, It's our shared language. So he introduced me to classic films when I was really young and foreign films. And then as I got into teenage years, independent films, I started to discover and I, like you, decided to educate myself. So I would take myself down to the video store every week and I'd get seven seven films and it was like a, a deal of seven films for seven days for $7. Wow. <laughs> so I would do that every week <laughs> and go through them all. And I loved it so much. And for me, film really was an escape. So whatever was happening in my life, whether it was dark time, whether it was a happy time, I felt like I could always trust in film to be able to take me to another world. And I got really intrigued to see other people and other worlds through film because being from Australia, you know, it feels very far away and it feels very isolated. And I lived in Canberra, which is the capital of Australia, but it kind of feels like a big country town. Mm -hmm. And so it felt a world away from Hollywood and a world away from all the other countries that I visited through film. So that to me was a, a way to travel, a way to learn about people, way to learn about history and to escape. And As I started to go through wanting to learn about film and reading books on film, I realized just how tough it was for women in film. And that was something that really disappointed me. First, when I was young, I wanted to be a film director. And then I was reading a lot of books and consuming a lot of stuff. And this is why I wanted to write my book, because I just never read that many stories about the great women working in film. And the fact that they weren't included taught me subconsciously that movies were a man's world and that maybe it's not an easy world for a woman to traverse and it would be just too hard for me to do. Mm -hmm. So I abandoned that plan and decided to work in television, which is also male-dominated, but uh, it seemed like an easier way in. So that's what disappointed me. And then as I started working in the industry, I think I was really surprised at how few other people doing my job actually love film. Hmm. (laughs) It sounds strange because you think if you talk about films, if you do interviews with film stars, that you will love movies. But for many people, it's a job, it's a chance to get on television. Maybe they want to be famous themselves or uh, maybe they are more interested in other forms of media. So I became a bit disillusioned with the industry not only how it treated women in film, working in film, but also how it treated people talking about film where you are expected to look a certain way, act a certain way, and maybe just talk about the fluffy stuff and they don't want to talk about anything Mm -hmm. much more or much deeper or have much more knowledge on film. And then there's the YouTube comments and everything that goes along with being a woman on the internet. So I'd say it's those things, but throughout my whole life, as film was just such a great escape for me. I guess one of the things that I often think about, at least, you know, in my career, was this in limbo kind of state. One was I, I wanted to prove my intellect and I wanted to prove that I was a well-rounded woman, yeah. yet 
in so many meetings, it was, oh, well, you're just too cerebral or, you know, could you just be a little bit more bubbly? And so exactly. I'm, 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 you know, in reading some of the stuff that I found online about you, I, I know that you experienced kind of the same thing. So I'm wondering how you, you dealt with that, but I'm also wondering if that's an industry thing and is it perpetuated more by men or by women? Mm. Because yeah. for me... I at least believe that women have so much power, but oftentimes because we don't support one another, there's that easy road that you can take. And so women tend to take that. So I'm wondering if, you know, what has been your experience of all that? Yeah, I've definitely experienced that. Um, I've had, you know, feedback from both male and female producers, and it's always disappointing when it's a woman telling me I should lose weight or I've got to look a certain way, act a certain way. And it's all stuff that's just been ingrained in us from all the media that we see, from everything that we consume where everybody does look a certain way, every all the women act a certain way, and you're not supposed to be this well-rounded human being. You're supposed to be very surface level and exist just for someone to look at you and be eye candy and so I've I've had troubles with both of that like struggles with uh wanting to you know it just never made sense I remember one producer took me aside after I did a big live broadcast and this was a male producer and he said you know yeah you you're really good and you have a lot of talent if you just lost uh, 10 kilos, which is the equivalent of five pounds, then you'd be really successful. Hmm. And I got a bit depressed for a little bit and I thought, okay, maybe I, I need to. And, and of course, I'm very critical of myself when I watch myself on screen. I'm like, oh, I could lose weight. Or, well, it's just all the stuff we've ingrained into us of how we're supposed to look, mm -hmm. which is ridiculous. But then luckily, I think I've always been stubborn. <laughs> so because he told me that, I was like, you know what? No, it Weight has nothing to do with my talent and my knowledge. So screw you, I'm going to stay exactly the same. Mm -hmm. And that made me just be like, no, nah, I'm sticking to it. And there's got to be a way. There has to be a way that I can be successful and uh, valued for more than just my looks. And um, I mean, it's a tough thing to stick to. You know, as I said, I, I look at myself and I'm like, oh, God, if I, you know, this eye's a little bit smaller than that eye, maybe I <laughs> should get surgery to, you know. But and then it's just about trying to trying to be true to yourself and and um, and love yourself for who you are. It's it's hard to hold on to for sure. I struggle with it daily. Mm -hmm. But I do think that women perpetuate this as well. It's not just men telling you these things. I've had female producers tell me exactly the same thing. I get constantly, I get feedback when I go on these morning television shows here in America. I get feedback often from pro female producers saying I need to dress sexier. I need to be more provocative and I need to be more enthusiastic, more bubbly, uh, more smiley and um, not talk about <laughs> anything, anything too deep, just stay on the surface. And that's always disappointing. So is that more a reflection of our society or mm. is, is the media just conditioned to think that way, that that is what sells? Yeah, it feels like it's uh, just self, it just keeps going in a cycle, self-perpetuating where this is what we've seen all the time on te television. This is what we're used to. So this is how it has to be. And there's not many people being like, no, hang on, let's do something else. And, you know, I'd love to figure out a way to help more girls come into this industry to be able to talk about film, love film, do this job, and also 
all different kinds of people, you know, all different backgrounds, all different shapes and sizes so that we can change this up. I remember once watching an episode of, um, it was a reality show, Juliana Rancic and Bill, mm-hmm. her husband, yeah. and she was doing a hosting course and she walked into this hosting course and they all, all the girls looked like her. Well, the girls looked exactly like Juliana and she's like, well, you all look the part, so that's the first step. Well done. (laughs) And I was like, oh, God, this is just a self-cycle. So I think it's a bit of both. It's like society tells women we have to look a certain way. Um, That's a way to keep us in our box and keep us just, you know, objects and not actual human beings. And then the media perpetuates it by continuing to insist on the girls who are in the industry that we have to be a certain way. You know, what's interesting about that example is that for somebody like Juliana, who's been in the industry for so long, age is a big thing when it comes to women. So if, yeah, you yeah. know, if those women all look like her and then also do the job like her, maybe even better, um, the shelf life for women is just infinitely smaller and shorter than it is for men. Yes. And it's just, it's something that I too think about this often, like how, how can we change how can we change the cycle? And maybe it is, you know, maybe it is like if we have conversations about yeah. this, I guess I, I do want to ask a little bit about your Ted talk. I, I'm assuming that was such a kind of high in a way, because mm-hmm. a, I mean, to speak for the Ted group yeah. company, whatever you want to call them, um, platform yeah. is an incredible feat. But also, I mean, did it, did you feel afterwards did you, could you maintain that high of speaking or did you feel a, a, a low because then it was like, okay, so I said this and now what? Yeah, definitely felt the low. It was uh, something that was on my bucket list for a, a long time, like it is for many people to do a TED Talk. And then they approached me and they said, you know, you speak a, a lot about women on, on the shows that you do and on your social media. Would you be interested in doing a TED Talk? So then it was like, oh, God, like I don't know if I'm good enough to <laughs> be on the TED stage. Like this is, you know, where these brilliant thinkers go on that have ideas that would change the world. And it was it was hard to put together because there are certain guidelines for doing a TED Talk, including like what is that major idea, that idea worth sharing and how is it different from everyone else who's spoken on a TED stage and also what can the audience take away from your talk that then they can go and put into action in their own lives. And it's like, God, how can I tell the audience how to change the film industry? So it took me a while to figure that out. Luckily, they give you a speaker coach. So the lead up was quite long. It was like six months of going back and forth and writing and refining and practicing. And then, and it's all comes down to, you know, 13 minutes on stage. And I was so nervous beforehand that I was shaking. Mm -hmm. But then as soon as I walked up on stage, I clicked into host mode. I'm so used to talking in front of camera and talking in front of people doesn't bother me. So I clicked into that, did my thing. It's funny when you look at it that I didn't really walk around the stage like everyone else does. I was like so used to presenting to camera. So I'm like, I stand in my one little spot on my mark. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I spoke to the audience. And so during it, you know, you're talking and you're thinking at the same time of how is this going? Am I getting my message across? Okay, a couple of people laugh there. That's a good point. And then afterwards, you do feel really great. And there was a moment where in the audience, a young girl who's about seven or eight and her father came up to me and the young girl had never seen me before but said that um, the father told me that she started crying during my talk. She looked at him and said, Dad, she's fighting for me. And I was like, oh, my God, that's amazing and that's exactly what I want. 
so there was that high and then afterwards it's like oh now what it's the same when I finished the book it's like oh okay that took up a whole lot of my time to in the preparation to it it was so all-engrossing and now it's over with and then you have to wait a long time a couple of months before it actually goes on YouTube so then when it came out on YouTube, I watched it and had another like, oh, yeah, that was pretty good. Because then in the meantime, between finishing the talk and it going on YouTube, I was like, was it good? Yeah. Was it not? I can't remember. What if it comes out and it's terrible? Like, <laughs> maybe I completely screwed up. Um, so I watched it again and I was like, oh, no, it's fine. I put it out there in the world. And then ever since then, I've never looked at the YouTube comments and I never will because I don't want that to ruin the experience for me because it was such a special experience. It's tough, right? Like if you're a person who's technically in the public, how do you disconnect? Yeah. I wanted, if you don't mind, I found uh, your medium where you used to write. I don't know that you oh, write yes. anymore. But it was interesting because there was a couple pieces that you wrote about social media and about putting yourself out there. And I and I wanted to to quote this. You wrote, I thought about my own work as well as my contradicting relationship with social media I have a romantic view of analog life as well as an intense enjoyment of new technology. In my chosen job, I believe strongly that classic movies still have a place, that indie films should be widely watched, and we should all talk about women in film. But those are the topics which don't seem to bring those coveted views or clicks or followers or jobs or money. And I bring that up because you continue to write afterwards about feeling kind of exposed in the sense of of putting yourself out there in the way that you do mm. because in mm -hmm. a way the media and that particular industry asks of you to create a brand and a personality yeah so how have you or have you a found a boundary like set a boundary for yourself like what's too much and what's too little yeah and then also just as a human being right yeah what is that what is it about us where we feel like yeah. we want to share I know. It's so true. I mean, these days, everybody shares everything. And it's, it can be really difficult. I mean, I'm someone who's always struggled with self esteem. And the one place that I need to get it from is myself. But social media, of course, it's like you put yourself out there, and then everybody judges you. <laughs> and it can be really damaging whether everyone's saying they love you or they hate you. I think sometimes, you know, you shouldn't have to hear comments about yourself all the time. And it really did get me down, especially when I talk about women and it's like, well, it's equality should be. So when we talk about the environment, it's like this, these are things that everybody should want. I don't understand what the big deal is. And I have to hear all the comments back. I'm just like, oh, this is really getting me down. And I do think that there's a real problem with technology addiction. Uh, at the time when I wrote those pieces, I noticed how every time I would be waiting for one second for a coffee or for a friend who was running late or at a traffic light, I would take out my phone straight away to fill the silence and fill the space. And Louis C.K. did a really great thing on Conan O'Brien where he spoke about how he was in the car once and a song came on which brought up feelings for him, sad feelings, and his first reaction was to take out his phone and message everyone he knew <laughs> just to say hi, 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 just to fill that space and, like, yeah. distract yourself. But he decided to be with his emotions, and I think that's true for me. I definitely use it as a distraction, not have to think about anything, and as a replacement for self-esteem. So I've actually 
just been figured out my boundaries. I now have a friend who helps me post on social media. So I approach social media as a business and I definitely, everything I write is definitely coming from me and she helps me to figure out like who to reply to and just kind of weeds out all the bad comments and will give me questions from people. And so I reply to everything, but it's not always me on there 24-7 having to do it because I get the business side of things like for my book as soon as I put out on social media that my book was available for pre-order, it went to number one in its category on Amazon. Amazing. And I do love having a community of people, film geeks that I talk to. I love being able to suggest movies and having people go and see them, but it's just not healthy for me personally to be on there all the time. And especially with what's going on in the world, I find it a very scary place to go online and have to read everything. So she helps me with social media. I've taken it all off my phone. I've even taken Safari off my phone. Wow. And I have, I'm not using GPS. So now I'm trying to just navigate my way. It's probably why sometimes I'm running late, sometimes I'm early, because <laughs> I'm trying to get, navigate my way around LA just from memory rather than relying on technology. Um, so I'm trying to just create a balance that way. And I'm so much happier being less online. It's just, it really has taken a weight off my shoulders. I feel more creative. I feel like I'm able to think more and I'm reading a book a week because I've got, you know, downtime, I've got free time. And for things like the book, I mean, for me, it's just enough that I did it. And I'm so proud that I did it because that was a big goal and I accomplished it. I don't really want to hear what everybody in the world thinks about it. You know? Yeah, I'm kind of, it's fine. I just, I did it. I'm sending it off to the world and I'm, I'm happy for it to just go where it does. And I don't necessarily need to hear if someone loves it or hates it. You know, it's, it's really ironic in a way, the things that you're saying, because what you kind of do for a living yeah. is talk about film. Um, and you speak to these actors and directors who, I mean, like yourself, you're so educated in it and you actually love the film, but so many people ask such idiotic questions mm -hmm. and critique without even understanding the industry or the art. I mean, you see the irony in that, right? Yeah, I do. And it's, yeah, it's crazy. And it's, it's hard as well when you work for places have like I have in the past, not at the moment, but in the past, I would just say, uh, no, we just want to play a game with them or we don't care about the movie. Ask them about this, you know, ask them about the personal life, ask them about the next film where you don't really care about this film. And it's like, what? That's crazy. Uh, yeah, I find, I find it really ironic that I have chosen to be in a, a job which is so public when really I'm quite a shy person. And I also can't believe that I have chosen to be kind of a speaker and a like I'm going to tell everyone about <laughs> women in film when I think my natural personality is just to stay at home by myself and watch a movie and not have anyone look at me at all so it kind of feels like now I feel like I've got this platform I'm so lucky that I've got it I'm so lucky that people listen to me and I'm so lucky that uh, people follow my work I'm going to use it for something good, something that I'm passionate about. Um, so I really made the decision not to work for any place that didn't respect the film industry and didn't and only wanted to talk about blockbusters and didn't care about indies and classic films. And once I did that, I wrote in that medium piece that that wasn't where the jobs were. But actually, once I stopped and said, no, this is what, I'm going to focus on this and I don't care if I'm poor or if nobody watches it, but this is what I care about. 
got to be a way that I can do that. That's when things like Filmstruck came around, which is my dream job. Mm -hmm. And Fandango said, let's focus on indie films. So I'm like, ah, perfect. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. I think that's a powerful lesson because I do think that we often get lost in our need to be seen and in our need to matter Mm -hmm. when, especially when we don't follow our truth. Yeah. And that has a lot to do, of course, with financial reasons. And, you know, in a, in a way it's like, can you become the best in your chosen field, which Mm -hmm. in any industry, again, there's that kind of easy road, you know, those blockbuster films, if you will, we can look at We can look at directors, you know, somebody like Jerry Bruckheimer, of course, with blockbuster films. Can I say he's an artist? No, but in in his form, maybe he is. Yeah. And then there is that director who just keeps doing indie films because it's for the love of the art and it's not about, you know, credit status, financial reasons. So exactly. Then to your point, it's the same thing of like you had to get to a place where you needed to make a change. Yeah, because it just wasn't serving you anymore. And no, I wasn't happy at all. You know, I was like, I'm getting the most like Twitter followers I ever have. And, you know, people are watching the show and I'm getting, you know, popular or this is what I should want. Right. This is all these opportunities should make me happy. This is everything I've worked for. And it's like, no, I'm not happy at all. I have to (laughs) make a decision. I have to choose to follow what I really love and what I feel passionate about and what will make me happy no matter if one person ends up watching or no one watches, you know, it's just enough that I'm doing it. The other thing you wrote, which was so interesting, and I was curious if you could talk about this. You wrote that mid-2014 and mid-2015 was the hardest year of your life. Yes. Was there a particular reason for that? Is that something you are willing to share? Yeah, yeah. So I was with a guy who I thought was going to be the one, you know, he was someone that I had been friends with for a long, long time. Um, I got together with him when I went back to Australia, he lived in Australia, we got together, I said, well, I'm living in LA, and I'm following my dreams. And so we did kind of a long distance thing for a while. And then he said he definitely wanted to be with me and he wanted to move to LA in a year's time. So then we made it official, like exclusive. And I went like back and forth to Australia a lot to see him because I had a more flexible job than he did. Anyway, in 2014, he moves over. As soon as he moves over, it all falls apart. Mm. And so it was really rough. I figured out that I didn't actually know him at all. Um, It was really heartbreaking. It was for the best in the end because it taught me so much and it actually pushed me further down this path to like find who I really am authentically and not who I just think I should be and who I think I should be with. Um, But it was heartbreaking. And and the thing that I realized during that time was how good I was at just going on television and smiling Mm -hmm. and I could easily switch it off whatever I was going through, like I would be crying hysterically and then put on makeup and be like, hey, everyone, hi, Alicia Malone, welcome to the show. And I had no problem switching and I was like, oh, that's not that's not that good. I don't think that's so healthy. Um, I really I started therapy and that's helped me a lot, but it uh, has also made me, and it's something I continue to try to strive for now, it made me realize that because I was so shy when I was young and I wanted to do this job, I had to fake it till I make it. You know, I had to pretend to be confident even though I wasn't. So I got to be very good at just turning on the presenter mode. Um, but it, 
it wasn't exactly who I was. Mm -hmm. And I, that whole experience made me realize that I want to actually find a balance with that where I am professional and I can deliver all the content in a nice, nice way, but also that you get to know the real me. And I'm still figuring that out. I haven't quite got there yet, but Mm -hmm. I am better than I was before, which I don't think was very healthy. (laughs) No, and it's also so hard. It's taxing one. And the other thing, it's, it almost sometimes starts to eat up the authentic self mm-hmm. because it's such yep. a it's such a crutch and a defense mechanism that it just becomes second nature and it it is quite dangerous. Yeah, and it's funny during that time that people would look at my social media and Instagram and I'm not someone that ever shares like who I'm dating on social media. I've just never been like that. But I just thought it was so funny that at that time, people would come up to me and be like, oh my gosh, you're doing so well. I see all your photos. They're great. And I was like, oh yeah, this is another hmm. like inauthenticity that you, you project this image of yourself that is so far from the truth. You don't know what people are going through uh, just based on their carefully curated Instagram. <laughs> you know, it's hard to tell. Yeah, I that's... And amazing because I use the same exact words. Um, I recently erased my entire Instagram oh, wow. to start over because I entered recovery in April for an eating disorder that I'd been battling for 10 oh, years. Wow. And so I felt the same way where it was just like I was, you know, perpetuating this idea and image of seeming perfection when in fact I was sick. Yeah. And I feel that for a lot of us, social media is kind of this highlight reel and you just media in general, you know, we were not really talking about like real issues. And, and that kind of goes back to our whole conversation a little bit earlier was it is finding that that boundary, right, of like, when is yeah. too much and something that I'm thinking about a lot as well. But because yeah, you don't want to overshare everything, you know, right, and like, right, because that can be damaging, too, if you share too much about what you're going through, and people judge it, or give you hateful comments and it's hard to it could damage you even more but yeah it's like finding that balance of being true to yourself um yeah but not sharing everything right Mm -hmm. I think a lot of it you know stems down to uh self-esteem and that's something that is not if it's not uh cultivated from a young age and in a lot of the research that I've done at least um in regards to my personal story it you know for a woman especially it's um crafted from their father and the relationship mm-hmm. with their dad. And similarly to what you said at the beginning of this conversation was that your one similar language was film. For my father and I, it was sports. Yeah. Which is why I spent 10 years of my life working in sports, although I was not happy there. That's so interesting. But I, you know, I wanted to ask because you mentioned also in your medium that when you were younger, you considered yourself kind of nerdy. Mm-hmm. What is that? Like, what is nerdy? I guess let's start with that. What What is nerdy? Like, what were you like then? Um, I would say that I was nerdy because uh, no one else shared my love of film. And um, I was so focused on it. And I didn't, at the time, I thought something was wrong with me because I didn't really want to go to parties and I didn't really want to kiss boys and get really drunk and do all the things that my friends were doing. Uh, and I was always well liked at school. I never got bullied or anything. I was very lucky. But um, 
I always thought, well, something's wrong with me because all I want to do is stay home and watch movies. <laughs> and now I go, no, nothing was wrong with you. It was, that's just who you are. And that's exactly who I am now. I don't like going out to parties or doing that or getting really drunk or whatever. I just like staying at home and watching movies. So nerdy for me was like when I started my little film club, I spoke about that on my TED talk uh, when I made myself president of my own film club and no one came to my screenings. (laughs) Everyone everyone thought I was strange because I loved classic film and everybody else loved, if they loved movies, they loved the latest movies. Hmm. So, and, and there was another time when my friends, you know, every school holidays they would have a movie marathon nights at the local cinema and I'd get so excited at the idea of watching movies from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. overnight. It's wow. like so cool. And um, and my friends would be like, yeah, let's all go. And then as soon as we get there, they would be like, all right, we're off. Cause they use that as an excuse to go out all night and to, to go out with these boys. And I was like, what? Why would you? Why would you want to leave this? Like, this is heaven. Um, so again, I guess it was thinking that there was something wrong with me because I was so passionate about this one thing. But now I look back and I go, no, it was just that was just what you're into, and mm-hmm. that actually set me on this path, which is lucky. <laughs> Do you think that that's why you you want to connect or have created a space for? other film lovers because I mean imagine if when you were a child you had someone like you I know god that would have been amazing if I had someone like me someone to share this with so I ended up just stifling it and being like all right well maybe I just won't talk about it then because no one else understands but yeah I think I'm still doing the same thing I'm still doing my film club it's just now people are listening on I have YouTube instead of having to create it at school. And it's funny when you look back and you think of the things that you did when you were young and how they, as you're still doing it now, just in a different aspect. Like I used to interview everyone at school and I'd just hold up a pretend microphone and be like, hey, so where are you going to be in 10 years time? And it's like now I'm doing that with a real microphone and now I do still have a film club. But that's I think that's why I love connecting with people for sure over social media and it's important to me to have that community and I I love that I I mean I'm glad that Twitter and everything didn't exist when I was at school because that's so much pressure Mm -hmm. (laughs) having to be popular and liked and everything being judged and the comparison thing Mm -hmm. but on the other hand it would have been nice to have people to connect with over shared love of film (laughs) yeah I'm curious I don't know if you've experienced this but I as a media member, you know, I started working in sports, but I grew up around sports because my father was an athlete. So when I entered into it as a media member, the relationships with some of the players, the athletes, their families, and the owners of these teams changed because all of a sudden I wasn't like an inner member anymore. And heaven forbid I revealed information, although that was not my, yeah, yeah why would I do that? But they don't know this. So I'm wondering like, you know, because you're a person who actually does respect the industry, how do certain uh, directors, producers, actors react to you? Do they still feel hesitant or have you made, built these relationships now where they trust you? Yeah, I've, I feel like I have to work so hard every time I walk into the room and I, I, that's something I probably take on myself of wanting that moment of realisation in their eyes, that little like, oh, okay, you know more than you're talking about because those press junkets are just like speed dating. It's like yeah. next, 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 
four minutes at a time. And so many people who come through do just ask the same questions or they don't really care about the film or they're not aware of the other work. So I think I go overboard in trying to be like, hey, and mention some obscure 1950s French movie so that they know that I know my stuff at the same time having to stay you know, somewhat general for the wider audience. But there has been a couple of people that I've been able to become friends with because of that, because mm-hmm. that once they realize that I actually really care about it, they're like, oh, wow, yeah, you actually care a lot about this. And, um, yeah, I let's hang out. And so become friends with a couple of directors, a couple of actors who are really into film. Mm-hmm. And so we can connect over that. But... It does get hard that every time, like, for example, in London, I was catching up with an actor, Australian actor who I've just known for years. And and there was a whole group of other actors there who I had uh, been at the press conference of that day. And one of them was talking openly. And, and I've never been that scoops person. I'm never one to like, oh, uh, and I would never, ever betray someone's trust. So I would mm-hmm. never report anything that I've heard that's not on camera and not for the interview. Uh, but one actor was talking, you know, openly and then another actor recognized me and was like, oh, don't report any of this. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, no, I won't. And then she was like, oh, my God, are you press? Oh, my gosh, please do not say anything. Mm-hmm. And I get it. It's happened to them before. They've been burnt a lot of times by media and by people that do just want to be first with the scoop and get out there and report something exclusively. But I'm not like that. And it gets hard to be like, no, I promise you I'm not like that. Like, please just, you know, treat me like a normal person. Right. Uh, so that can be difficult. And I do notice that when I go out with these actors and hang around them that I'm so careful not to ask any questions that could be construed as me asking for any more information. So then, you know, I have to tell myself to relax and and be fine with it and not be like, oh, no, I don't mean that I'm trying to ask you what you're doing next because, I, you know, it it can be difficult. Yeah, for sure. It is. It's like an inner dialogue in your head, right? Yeah. Because you know know so much and you're just simply asking out of curiosity but at the same time, you're like, don't go there. What if they assume yeah. something else? But I would exactly. have to say that, like, you know, it, that's part of their job as well. Like, they need to be more better educated. Yeah. And do their research of, like, who is to be trusted and who's not. Exactly. And I think they are very quick to, like, paint everybody with the same brush. Yeah. As being like, ugh, press, ugh, you know. Oh, they're all the same. And it's like, no, 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 we're not, actually. There's some really good there's great reporters there you know a lot of people uh I've discovered who really do care and and they want to do a good job and they they do their best to do research and it can be difficult when people prejudge them before they walk in the room Mm -hmm. at that like oh you're just like everyone else yeah and I think too maybe one of the things that you figure out in time is that not all people in the industry are film buffs yeah oh yeah actually it's surprising how few people actually right. <laughs> who, who who make films and act in films actually care about movies and want to watch movies outside of their own yeah it's it's so bizarre to me I can't I can't understand it yeah it's I I can relate to this 100% <laughs> let's talk about women yes what have you what have you seen I mean I guess I'm more curious in in this with this question I I, I often watch the Hollywood 
reporter roundtables. I just love mm. that dialogue that they have and create. And a lot of times the question when it's all women, the question that's asked is, you know, why, why aren't there more roles for women? And, mm. you know, what can women be doing to get more roles? And um, a lot of times the answer is, well, I don't know why you're asking women. Ask yeah. men. You know, there's that. Yeah. So from your perspective and being in this as long as you have, like, what is it? What's not clicking for it to be where it is? Or is it, in fact, moving? We're just kind of creating a bigger problem than there is. Yeah, well, I, I do agree. And I think I've had to shift my thinking to of not asking actresses that question. Because often, yeah, they're like, I mean, and same with directors, female directors, they're like, of course, I, I mean, I would love to work. I mean, of course, like, but I'm just not getting the offers. And so in doing the book, I really delved into it. And it seems to just all stem back to some outdated modes of thinking in Hollywood. And it can be it, that can be widened to everything as well, like uh, certain franchises works and you got to have this, you got to have that. And it's really outdated. Uh, it's like, you know, oh, women can't open movies. They, they don't bring the box office because women will watch movies about women, but men won't watch movies about women. That's been disproven so many times. Mm-hmm. Uh, female directors, they just don't, they can't direct action. That's been disproven so many times. But I think when it comes to the people making the decisions, the people with the money, they are, you know, they are do have these biases against uh, women and against certain people, and they they hold on to their tried and true rules, uh, which are so so disproven time and time again. It, it gets frustrating. It's a whole bias of what makes a director, uh, why is, you know, you think of a a male for a director instead of a woman, you know, who can lead a movie, what types of characters to audiences want to see. And I'm not sure why they haven't updated their thinking. But every time a movie like Wonder Woman comes out or a movie like Thelma and Louise comes out or League of Their Own, they're so shocked by it. (laughs) They're Mm -hmm. like, wow, this, wow, it, it worked. And it's like, yeah, it's worked so many times. Why can't we just move with the times, people? So I don't know. And I don't think much has changed. They just came out with a new study that showed that really there hasn't been any change for women, for people of color and representation on screen behind the camera uh, in the last year. And I've seen a couple of articles being like, but everything's better now because we have Wonder Woman, which is not true because that's just one film. And again, Hollywood has amnesia so then they'll forget about that and then they'll move on and keep creating the same content so I think it's going to take like a real industry-wide change and maybe some mandates about Mm -hmm. certain like diversity rules or certain things that they have to employ I love people like J.J. Abrams who I talked to for my book who at Bad Robot has a mandate that because he says you know when he goes out for any any role, whether it's a writer, director, uh, when he's asking for submissions for a writer, director, um, actors, for his movies, producers, composers, overwhelmingly he gets lists from 
casting agents from agents, talent agents and from studios that are all white men. Hmm. And so now he's made it a rule that any list that comes to him of any job, any prospective people for the job has to be reflective of the population in the US. So it has Mm -hmm. to have certain number of, you know, African-American people represented, um, you know, Latinos, everything like it has to be balanced women, men. And I love that. And I think it's going to take more of that kind of change. I am hopeful that the, the ACLU and the um, EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunities Commission, they did a big investigation, uh, which I spoke about in my book. And I am hopeful that that will change things because they are actually, they can't comment on cases, but reports are they have found enough evidence to charge every single major studio with discrimination. So I think when Hmm. it comes to that, when it's like charges, fines, money, uh, then things will start to shift. But it has to be that kind of radical shift for it to happen. Otherwise, they just stick to tried and true, what they've always done. They don't want to take any risks, not with content, not with anything. Yeah, it's like that accountability. You know, I I also think what's so interesting is you mentioned Wonder Woman, and, and that's a franchise blockbuster these types of films I mean I personally I don't watch any of them I did see Wonder Woman but something like The Beguiled to me which is so interesting you know it's all all female cast basically except for Colin Farrell and of course Sofia Coppola is just I mean I love her as a director but the thing is that I feel a lot of times you know it's like well she's the daughter of yeah yeah so of course she's had help or whatever it is you know yeah. heaven forbid if she were a boy I don't think any of these things would be brought up no and so you know I'm asking this question and I don't think you can answer this because I don't have an mm. answer for it either but it's just I guess conversation and yeah. maybe you're right it does have to stem from other men so somebody like a JJ Abrams to to mm-hmm. to lead the way to lead by example is what's yeah going someone to in like a, a gatekeeper like JJ or like Ryan Murphy that who started his Half Foundation where in his television shows he aims to have, and he actually did do it, aims to have like 50% directors who are female uh, or from LGBTQ communities or of minority. And so I think it takes stuff like that, people in positions of power actually making change. And I think the people in power sometimes don't even notice the problem because they don't they don't ever have to deal with it <laughs> before I get to the very end of the all the questions that I ask everybody I, I did want to I I saw online but maybe this has changed for you one of the films that you list is one of your favorites is Amelie yes is it still, is it still your yeah. favorite <laughs> I, I love it I I just you know and now that I kind of hear your story and we've been talking it makes so much sense it does because you know you're her and she's you kind of exactly that's exactly right uh one of my best friends Maud Garrett who's also in the industry she just watched Amelie for the first time and she messaged me she was like oh I don't get it it's like a manic pixie dream girl blah blah blah. and I was like no she's not because she is not there to exist solely for a guy a sad lonely guy to rediscover his life she actually is a full person but the and then I explained to her the reason why I love it is because I relate to her so much there's a line in the film where she's talking to the the old guy, the painter, mm-hmm. and they're talking about a woman in a painting. And uh, she, they were talking about her, and and she says, you know, she just wants to help everyone. She wants to fix their messy lives. 
And he's like, what about her? Like, who's going to fix her her messy life? She has to fix it herself. And I was like, yeah, that's that's true. As a people pleaser, it's like, oh, yeah, I've got to fix myself. And she is, she's a bit of a loner. She's a bit of a dreamer. Uh, she goes to the cinema and notices things that people don't notice. And, yeah, that's definitely me. I, I relate to it 100%. And then throw in, like, cinematography and quirky great music and I'm like and France which I love right I'm, I'm sold it's my, <laughs> my dream <laughs> do you think so whimsical would you ever consider going as a producer or a director if the opportunity came yeah it would have to be something I'm really passionate about I could imagine myself producing documentaries mm. you know I think I could imagine that the most I don't know how creative I am at coming up with, uh, you know, ideas and and new visual ways of thinking as a director. But I do love documentaries and they can be really powerful. So if I was to do anything, I could imagine that. Mm -hmm. I spent some time in Australia last year and everyone kept talking about the, and I'm, I'm not saying it correctly, but you can't be taller. The poppy can't be taller than the rest. Oh, yeah. Tall poppy syndrome. Yeah. Is that something that you have felt and, and and if so, how has it manifested in your life? I, I haven't felt it directed towards me, but I've definitely felt myself do that. Uh, it's very prevalent in Australia where you build someone up and you're really excited for them. It happens with actors all the time. So you build them up, you're so excited, they do really well, especially actors who come over here to America who are from Australia. You know, we're like, oh, it's our Nicole, you know, it's our Ben Mendelsohn, Mendo, he's doing so well, we're so proud of them. And then it gets to a point where suddenly they decide, and I think it's happened here with Jennifer Lawrence especially, um, it, it comes to a position where you go, where people decide like, oh, they think a lot of themselves mm. or they need to they need to be taken down a peg or two. Who do they think they are? Mm. And so they're that poppy can't be taller than all the rest. You cut them down to size. And I think uh, I've had to challenge myself when I've gone into that way of thinking of like, oh, they think they're so good now because they're so successful. And it's like, no, hang on. No, that's not true. I haven't felt it myself just because, you know, I don't think uh, in terms of Australia, you know, no one knows who I am or what I'm doing. Uh, but I guess it happens on YouTube as well where you'll notice the first time you go on a show, particularly if you're a woman, you go on the show first time and people will love you. People will be like, oh, my God, she's so great. Oh, she's cool. Blah, blah, blah. And then you go on it again and they're like, oh, she's kind of annoying. And then it's mm -hmm. like, oh, she's a little, she talks a little too much. And then, you know, it just kind of goes in those waves where suddenly you can't control it and then it goes out of control and then everyone decides that they hate you. And then you'll go off for a, a couple of shows and you'll go back on. They're like, yeah, you're back. And the cycle continues. So I think that's where I felt it the most. <laughs> God, it's such a bizarre, it's such a bizarre cycle. Like you're always, if a woman online, you're always too much of something. You're, you know, too loud, or you're too quiet, you're too shy, you're too arrogant, you're too knowledgeable, you're not knowledgeable enough, you're too pretty, you're too ugly. Um, and it's often all at the same time. <laughs> and so I used to try and fit into that and be like, oh, they say I'm too loud. Okay, I'll be, I'll be much quieter next time. And then it's like, no, you can't win. You just got to be yourself and stay away from the comments. Never read the comments. If I were Oprah right now, I would say that's a tweetable moment because <laughs> it's so yeah. true. I mean, like, it, that I just, I can relate to that. And I think everyone yeah. can. So at the end of the interview, I ask a few questions, all, always the same. I'm sure you do this as well and 
Anyways, I'll get to them. So one of the, the pillars of the platform is speak your truth. So speak your truth is self-explanatory, but it's, you know, something that you really believe in or something that defines you, something that can be a mantra of sorts. Is there a truth that you could speak to us today? Yeah. Uh, excuse my language, but my one of my mottos is focus on your own shit. <laughs> because especially with social media, you can get caught up in the idea of competition, the idea of comparing yourself all the time to other people. That person's having more fun than me. That person's more successful than me. That person. And it's not healthy at all to focus on other people and worry about them and, and their goals. You know, especially as women, we're trained to think that there's only a certain number of positions for us you know mm-hmm. there's only a certain number of women that can be involved in this television show so you've got to compete with them to to get your place and it's not true there's a place for all of us we're all so different from each other so my motto is yeah focus on your own shit because if you focus on your own goals and just being the best that you can be and don't compare yourself to other people that's where success lies mm-hmm. I think The second one is champion flaws. So if there are any flaws that you're aware of, you're working on, maybe you even really like them that you'd be willing to share with us. Yeah, flaws. I'm trying to learn how to show more of myself, I'd say. I am so used to just projecting this like well put together, perfect, always prepared, always, you know, on point part of myself and I would love to learn how to just be a bit messy and be okay with the flaws and be okay with showing more of that and being okay with not being perfect mm-hmm. <laughs> I started rereading the book and I was like oh god this chapter is a bit clunky oh, I just wish I could rewrite this oh <laughs> no it's like no no it's fine you know be okay with it. it's it's no there's no perfect you know you just got to be okay with what you are so I'd say yeah learning how to just be more authentic and show my true self and be more vulnerable mm-hmm. that's a hard thing mm-hmm. yeah what would you say is the lesson that took you the longest to learn uh to believe in myself uh you know I wanted to be on camera for a long time Uh, I worked behind the scenes for 10 years and in the end it it gave me a lot I learned so much from my time behind the scenes but just not believing I was good enough you know and not standing up and saying this is what I want being too scared so it was it took me a long time to realize and something I still struggle with Uh, But it took me a long time to realize that you have to believe in yourself and you have to really, you know, no one's going to do it. No one's going to believe in you if you don't believe in yourself. So you just have to love yourself. Yeah. What do you think you as a young girl with your film club, (laughs) what would she think and say and feel about you now? My gosh, she would just be like, what? No way that you're doing that. You know, it's, it's hard enough to talk one on one with people. How, how would you go on camera and do all this stuff and, I think she would be amazed. I think I think she would she would love the idea of what I'm doing now because looking back it is my dream job like I was saying it's everything that I was when I was young. I'm just doing it now on a bigger scale. So I think she would be really impressed but she would have a hard time believing it. Hmm. <laughs> interesting. She'd be like, "No, not you. You're too shy for that." Well, it's interesting <laughs> because you just said um believing in yourself is the lesson that took you the longest to learn. Yes. So here's a reminder, (laughs) you're you're amazing at what you do. And finally, uh, I always ask people at the end to fill in this sentence, Alyanka, you really should be asking this. What do you feel I should be asking? Should be asking, asking of me or in general? Just in general, yeah. Are you or or in general? 
Um, that's a good one. You should be asking, let me think. I mean, your questions are so good. <laughs> oh, thank you. Coming from you. <laughs> no, you're so good. Oh, thank you're you. So authentic, which is great. I would say just to, which you, you already are doing it, but just to keep challenging the idea of women placed, like the ideas that are placed on us and um, where it comes from. So it's, you know, is, is this something that uh, women should or shouldn't do? Is this something that's been put on us as society? It's something I have to challenge myself in all the time. It's like when you start realising the system that we're all part of and the society that everybody grows up with, it um, it's like putting on those sunglasses in They Live from John Carpenter mm-hmm. and then you realise you see all the hidden messages everywhere and then you realise how everybody sort of perpetuates the system. So I would say just keep questioning the system, the patriarchy. <laughs> yeah. I, I interviewed one woman who said to me, we need to stop shooting all over ourselves. <laughs> yeah. And I just love that so much. I love that. That's so great. So, That's so true too. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I say that all the time. I'm like, I should do this. It's like, no. <laughs> no. Yeah, exactly. Question everything um, and find your own truth. Yes. Yeah. Love that. Thank you so much for doing this. No, thank you. I, I Again, like to me, this was such a, a full circle moment because like I said, I've just... <laughs> I admire your work so much and I I just really beyond that just admire the fact that you stick true to the depth and the intellect but also the vulnerability really I mean I know you say that you need Mm -hmm. to work on that but but you Mm -hmm. you have that um and it shows through the work and in the way that you are with the people that you interview thank you it's authentic so thank please keep doing you I hope that um you yeah I hope you keep doing you too because uh you know I was so drawn to your story um in your email and I just felt right away that resonance of like yes this is this is so powerful what you're doing and how you you chose to walk away from that life and focus on this and um and focus on your recovery and I think you're really strong and amazing woman so you you keep going with what you're doing I love (laughs) it thank you so much thank you For more on Alicia Malone, please make sure to follow her on all the social medias. She's super active on there and she'll also write you back if you send her an email. You can find her on Twitter at Alicia Malone, A-L-I-C-I-A-M-A-L-O-N-E, as well as on YouTube and on Instagram and on Facebook, but it's at Movies Are My Jam, but you can just type in Alicia Malone. Please, 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 please order her book backwards and in heels because it's wonderful. And also check out her TEDx talk. It's a must watch. We've recently had to resubmit all our podcast so if you could please go on to itunes and rate and review that would be much appreciated because we've lost all that we've gained but that's life and we're okay with that if you like this conversation and you love any of our podcasts take a screenshot of it when you're listening and post it to your social media and i'll make sure to regram or retweet or re-social media if that's even a thing it should be thanks for listening and we will see you next time